Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. Welcome to September. Welcome to Labor Day weekend, but it's not Labor Day, so I'm wearing white. (laughs) My name is Brian Kiley, and I am the minister here, and I'll also be leading the service today. And we hope that you do feel welcome here. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, multi-generational religious community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free-thinking, spiritually questing individuals joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, including diversity of beliefs, from divine believers to humanists, from pagans to atheists, and even agnostics, and on the weekend of the Battle of Alberta, even Calgary Stampeder fans. (laughs) We believe in the compassion of the human heart, the warmth of community, the pursuit of justice, and the search for meaning in our lives. And that's really what today's service is about. We gather with gratitude this morning on traditional Cree lands that are now part of Treaty 6 and shared by many nations. A treaty is an inheritance, a responsibility, and a relationship, as are all things in life. So may we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to the planet, and good ancestors to all our children in the spirit of Treaty 6, but in the spirit of our principles as well. If you are new here, we invite you to stay for coffee hour afterwards to get to know us, and by all means, please introduce yourself to me. If you haven't already done so, visit our newcomer table just outside the door. And so as we begin this special hour together, I invite you to quiet your electronic devices so that we may enjoy the service fully without any extraneous musical accompaniment. We begin with the time of contemplation and music as we listen to our prelude.
In the houses of the holy, the world pauses. In the hearts of the holy, love abides. In the havens of the holy, hope comforts. In the hearths of the holy, spirit refreshes. So come then, one and all, gather in. Come then, one and all, gather here. Bring here all of your heart. Bring here all of your body. Bring here all of your soul. Come then. Bring the broken, the vulnerable, the ragged, the outcast, the other. Come then. Gather in. Come. Come then, one and all. Gather in. Come then. Gather in. I'd like to invite Aaron Straubey to come up and light our chalice today. I got it. There you go. Thank you. Our opening hymn, really not surprisingly for an in-gathering service, is number 361, Enter, Rejoice, and Come In. I invite you to stand as you're willing and able and join in. must be my first week back preparing a service, but we have no reading by Patricia Sutter <laughs> in the back of our hymn book, and 722 has nothing to do with what we're doing today. So I'd like to invite... Hmm? I don't know. I'm going with 442 instead. <laughs> Snap decisions. This is, this is why you have a professional. <laughs> if you join, please, in the responsive reading number 442, we bid you welcome. Please read the italicized portions. We bid you welcome who come with weary spirit seeking rest. We bid you welcome who come with hope in your heart. We 
We bid you welcome who are seekers of a new truth. We come to probe and explore. We come to learn. We bid you welcome who enter this hall as a homecoming. We have found here room for your spirit. We find in this Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you are on your journey. Each week we take an offering to support the work of this church, a necessary reality, as this church is completely owned and run and managed by its members. But we also share our abundance because we think that's a good thing to do. And for the month of September, we're going to be sharing our abundance, half of the unidentified cash in the collection plate, with Camp Firefly, a wonderful organization that uh, helps LGBTQ, trans, and all of those things, youth, who get to go to summer camps and get to be in safe places, and they do wonderful, wonderful work. So we're supporting Camp Firefly. I invite you to give generously. As we receive the offering, I invite you to join in the song printed in your order of service. a reading to begin this thought about grounding this month, looking at the idea of being grounded and the base on which we build our lives. And this is by Jess Reynolds. On my worst days, it is gravity I am most grateful for. The way the earth pulls me at her core, yearns for me, keeps me pressed tightly against her surface. When my own core is hollowed out, when I have no more mass than a leaf dead on the branch, still it is enough for the earth to find me. She reaches to what little I have and says, stay. 
Every meditation I've ever done begins by asking me to ground myself. This is not so much an action as an inaction. Surrender. A voluntary abandonment of my own edges and tidy packaging. Sit with me now. Press the soles of your feet back into the ground you sprang from. Feel the weight of your body and know that it is glorious. You are born of soil and sun and all the heaviness of the earth is a call to you. The earth is reaching for you. Reach back. Reach back. Our next hymn this morning you'll find in the Teal Hymn Book. It's number 1008, When Our Heart is in a Holy Place. Thank you. This week, our home has been, in the words of one of our teen daughters, angsty. The summer holidays are coming to a close. The routines of the school years past and ahead are both missed and dreaded in equal measure. One daughter just got back from a three-week 16th birthday journey and is fighting jet lag. Another is bored by summer activities that have long gone stale. 
She can't wait to get back to her friends and her school. And the third is nervous because she's being pushed out of her comfort zone since kindergarten and is starting in a brand new big high school. And it's not just them. My big cancer bike ride is behind me. That has been a powerful distraction all summer, occupying both my physical exercise time and my mental energy. And with that done, I am gripped by the full-blown awareness that the final five months of my serving this community starts today. As I told Gordon coming through the door, this is my last first service of the year. An uncertain future is just a short time away, and it's getting closer. closer. So like my daughter said, it is an angsty time. September, especially this weekend in September, is a time of transition for many of us. School start, traffic patterns change, programs begin in community centers and places of higher education, choirs start rehearsing, committees begin to meet. The feel of the whole church shifts on a day like this. In Judaism, the New Year celebrations are just a couple of short weeks away. Even if we've been working or studying all along, I suspect that for many of us, this feels really like the new year. Though the leaves still adorn the trees, we are shifting into winter mode. But, big but, all of that is not quite here yet. It all begins Tuesday. This weekend is this last gasp of the summer we never really had. Or the last bit of waiting time before it all begins again. Angsty for many. Now, not everyone responds to September this way. But most everyone goes through some moment when they are approaching a transition and the world around them feels just a bit wobbly. Maybe it's a long-awaited medical procedure or just waiting for lab test results. Perhaps it's a move or a job change. Maybe that's what's unsettling. It could be the beginning or the ending of a relationship. Transitions happen to us all at different times, and they can be unsettling. If nothing else, we have to endure it and get through it. But maybe there is something we can do to help settle us down, to help us manage this transition angst more easily. I know I've coached my daughters on this when they are concerned about a project or a test. They've probably heard this story 20 times each. A very long time ago, I was a stage manager in a large college musical theater production. And it was a day or so before the curtain went up, and I won't bore you with all the details about why things were going south so quickly, but the the sum of it was that the director of the show and the technical director of the theater fell into a huge screaming spat with one another and refused to talk to each other. This is just as dress rehearsal was about to begin. That's anxious at any time. I was stuck literally in the middle, this green 
kid, never done this before. I was stuck literally in the middle, running between two floors, up an aisle, up a staircase, back to the theater, in order to carry communications between these two because they refused to talk to each other. It was my first leadership gig in theater, so I didn't know what else to do except run. I felt pulled in a dozen different directions. And on my third or fourth go-round of this nonsense, (laughs) breathing heavily at this point, a wise old theater critic, publicist, director, actor, who was observing this farce, pulled me aside as I ran up the aisle yet again. Brian, sit a moment, he said with deliberate slowness and calm. I sat. This show opens in 24 hours, does it not? Yes, Michael. Well, I have a question. In 27 hours, will any of this matter? It was a moment of blinding insight, a realization that the things that stress us have endpoints, often predictable endpoints. In so many hours, the test will be over and done with and life will return to normal. And you'll have done well or you will have not done well, but it'll be done. In next days, the medical results will be in and you can figure out what to do next. By next Monday, somebody will have finished moving into a new home. Oh, sure, there will be other stresses arising alongside or as a consequence of these things. But that that one piece, that thing that has you tied up absolutely in knots right now will be over. And what you did in the stress won't matter anymore. So why let the anxiety rule you right now? Life might be different, but it will go on, and that big thing will fade in intensity. I found Michael's wisdom that evening to be incredibly grounding and very stress-relieving. I stopped worrying about the theater spat. I walked instead of ran up and down the aisle. I stopped buying into the anxiety of these two prima donnas, and they were both prima donnas, the kind that only exist in theater. I got them to agree finally just to get on with the damn rehearsal. These two guys would work it out, or they wouldn't, but that would be on them and not me, and regardless, it would be over soon. So a first suggestion for finding your ground is to take on only what's yours and understand that it will end. And breathe. Just breathe. Few failures are the end of the world. And you know, it might not turn out to be a failure after all. In fact, our show went up on time and it won awards at a provincial drama festival. It seems to me that much of life is impacted by the need to live up to expectations, whether it be those placed on us by others or the much harder ones, the expectations placed on us by ourselves. We want to do well, feel a sense of accomplishment, be liked, not let people down. 
All of those goals have worthiness to them. That's, there's nothing wrong with them. Striving to be good at something is part of being human. But like almost every other thing in life, there comes a point where the price of achievement can get too high. The stress can throw us off balance and actually affect the quality of what we're trying to do. We can end up trying too hard at the expense of other things that life has to offer. Another personal aphorism I have long adopted is that B plus is a pretty good grade. A minus is all right too. And the cost of making it all the way to A plus sometimes just doesn't seem worth it. You have to give up too much if you're trying to climb that hill all the time. You need to remember to have a life, to have friends, to have leisure activities. Sometimes B-plus is good enough. It's still way better than the average. Part of the problem is that achievement can be very seductive. We get approval, awards, reduction of threat. We feel good about our efforts. People like us more because we got something done. So we try to do more and more because it's a little bit like a drug and it just feels really good. So we're going to keep working harder and harder and harder. And we forget why we're doing it. And perhaps grow resentful. And then burnout comes up and knocks on our door. We can lose all the things we think we've gained. So when the events are pulling you six ways to Sunday, when a very big thing looms large over your life, it's a good time to go back to those things that ground you. And the things that ground you, whether it's a place or a person or an activity, wherever you go, inside or outside, to feel safe, when you need to regain balance and catch your breath, and where you need to feel the ground under your feet, It's important to remember where that is and how to get there. I'm reminded of two stories from the Gospels. I am a minister, after all. As Jesus pondered starting his public ministry with all of its grand looming uncertainties, he went into the desert to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, he went through some interesting challenges and tests. There's a book, you can read about it. Those tests strengthened his resolve and helped solidify his understanding of his purpose and helped him make a decision to go forward. He went to the place that felt right, away from friends and family with their expectations to sort things out on his own. Now, similarly, on the night he was arrested by the Romans, a night of great fear for the tortures that lay ahead, He left his companions, okay, some of them were drunk and fell asleep, and he went out into the garden just to pray. He went a little ways on his own to pray. It seems that being outside in nature with his own thoughts, praying or meditating was grounding for him. It helped him face what was to come with a greater degree of calm and acceptance. We all need to find that grounding place before we get swept up and swept away. When I have to work something out, I go ride my bike for a long distance. 
I find the rhythmic pattern of pedaling quiets the murmurs. And my mind can drift and look at the problems in different ways. I don't actively think about anything. I just let things float three and let the ideas come. And usually, when I get home, my stress has lessened, my perspective has rebalanced, and once in a while, even a course of action might have come to me. There are all kinds of places, physical and mental, where we can go to find the calm eye of the storm. And the number of places is as varied as the number of people in this room. I'm sure you had lots of different answers in your community conversations. You probably already know where your grounding place is, whether you call it that or not. You know where that calm resides. It's the place where you can lay it all aside for a little while. I want to finish with another reading by my colleague, Carol Altman Morton. Many of us carry a burden of worry, anxiety over the state of the world, worries about money, about our environment, our families, about peace and justice, about the Amazon rainforest. She didn't write that. May we find that we can set down worry for longer and longer periods of time. In our experience of letting go, may we be open to the possibility that we need not pick our worries back up. May we find passion and strength to work for change where we have the power to do so and to let go where we do not. I suppose that my favorite line of Carol's piece is, may we trust that nothing will get worse for us putting down the burden for a moment. Just a moment. Now you're each important and you each have to carry burdens and expectations, some created by you, some imposed by others. And sometimes these expectations and burdens can become so heavy that they drop you to your knees. To use an old phrase, you may walk around as if you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's a reference to Atlas. What we often forget is that Atlas's task of holding up the whole world was a prison sentence, a punishment for leading the Titan revolt against the gods. This is not something to be desired or loved or taken on willingly. He was being jailed this way. It wasn't his choice. It wasn't his ambition. He could not lay down his burden. You can, if only for a time. So let your muscles relax. Shake things out a bit. Stretch a bit. Find your ground and rest there. The burdens of hopes and expectations and duty will still be there when you choose to pick them up again. But it will be your choice, and you will have the benefit of standing on your ground first. Amen. I'd like to invite you into a time of meditation, and we'll start that by singing the, the Buddhist meditative song, Filled with Loving Kindness, again in the Teal Hymn Book, number 1031. Please remain seated.
Beth Lefevre writes, We are whole, even in the broken places, even where it hurts. We are whole, even in the broken places, the places where fear impedes our full engagement with life, where self-doubt corrupts our self-love, where shame makes our faces hot and our souls cold. We are whole even in those places where perfectionism blunts the joy of full immersion into person, place, activity, where good enough does not reside except in our silent longings, where our gaps must be fast filled with substance, accomplishment, or frenzied activity, lest they gape open and disgust. We are whole where we would doubt our own goodness, richness, fullness, and depth, where we would doubt our own significance, our own profoundness. We are whole even in our fragility, even where we feel fragmented, alone, insubstantial, insufficient. We are whole even as we are in process, even as we stumble, even as we pick ourselves up again, for we are whole. We are whole. Let us enter a time of silence together.
Our closing hymn is number 352 in the Gray Hymn Book, Find a Stillness. Wonderful piece that I've liked for a long time. It's based on one of our Unitarian Transylvanian melodies, although the words were written by an American fellow. Of course, in Unitarianism, the oldest iteration of the Unitarian faith, going back almost 500 years, was from Transylvania, now part of Romania. So I invite you to join in singing this wonderful calming hymn, Find a Stillness. The chalice is extinguished when its light lives on in the minds and the hearts and the souls of each one of you. So carry it with you when you leave this place and share it with those you know, with those you love, most especially with those you have yet to meet. I invite you to join hands and sing Carry the Flame and then have a seat and we'll have some announcements. 